The smiles on their faces are worth it, isn't it? Just watching them learn something about Jesus that will stick with them all their lives. You know, how do you get that earworm out of your head for the rest of your life? <laughs> hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not. All right, before we get into the message, today is uh, welcome to the family class right after worship. If you have not yet been a part of that, you need to be because it's about getting on the same page so that we can become more and more the body of Christ, more and more the family, understanding stuff that maybe you don't know about New Song and, and our purpose and where we're headed. Um, if you haven't signed up for it, it's okay. We got some slots open. We just need to know. Um, if you're able to stay. And if you want to take a review course, I, I really have revised it. So if you took it a long time ago, there's a lot of different kinds of things to reflect where God has brought us over the last few years. So I invite you to come and be a part of it. We are, so the message is not trying harder, but trusting more. Our theme for the year is our utmost for his highest. And um, so the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about the whole entire book of Philippians. Our memory verses from chapter one, a few verses there, but um, there's, there's so much in the book of Philippians that I kind of sense because God, it feels like just God put it there that we're gonna, we should spend some time here. I'm not guaranteed we're going to get through the whole book or how it's all going to work out. Uh, because you never know what God, how God might direct us. But for at least the next few weeks, my plan is to take a look into the book of Philippians and see how it helps us grasp what it looks like to live our utmost for his highest. So today, let's talk about some exchanges that we need to make if we're going to trust God more instead of trying harder to live our utmost. Some important spirit insights this week. Well, not just this week. Um, the first one is trust is deeper than surrender. Trust is deeper than surrender. And this occurred to me a number of weeks ago. I was on my knees in my home office, and, and as I was praying, um, one of the themes around here is that we live slow, right? Which means surrender, surrender listen, listen obey. obey. Surrender, listen, obey. Knees and nudges and so we talk a lot about surrender. So it kind of took me aback when I was on my knees and, and I sensed God put this in my head that surrender or uh, trust is even deeper than surrender. And we need to, and, and that listening and obeying are really um, the, the trust elements. Because we talk a lot about surrender. The Bible talks a lot about surrender, about humility, about coming to God with no agenda, just no pride, giving God his place on the throne, being his servants, and on and on. So it was a little bit of a shock. And, and so as I, began, I continued to talk with God about it, and, and what came to mind was that we can surrender in an attitude of resignation. Throw up the red flag, not because we want to, but because there's... Really not much choice. It's kind of like Peter telling Jesus, we fished all night, we caught no fish, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing. And then he looks in Jesus' eyes and he realizes, ah, oh, well, okay. 
I don't think he had any trust in Jesus at that point. I think it was just pure resignation. Resignation is just kind of throwing up your hands and going, okay, I don't have any other choice. Trust, though, is reliance. Trust is an act of the will of putting my full weight on something. So it's, it's, it's like this bridge. You know, if I'm, I trust this bridge, I put my full weight on this bridge and trust that it's going to hold me up as I cross the ravine. It's a deliberate act of the will of reliance and obedience that then results in this intimacy and alignment that God wants us to have. Surrender is the first part. Trust is the active, positive, full confidence, throwing my full lot in with Jesus. And I thought of the way that um, people approach death. If you live long enough, you die, right? Nobody gets out of this life alive, except for only, yeah, except for Enoch in the Old Testament, Elijah, you know. But everybody else dies. We can face death with resignation going, okay, I, or as our scripture in Philippians says, we can approach it with this full trust and confidence that it is better for me to leave this life so that I can be with Jesus. Amen. That's trust. That's, so that's a, an example of the difference that he has for us. And I believe that God is challenging us to move from simply resignation and surrender to, no, God is God. God is God, even though the whole culture is worshiping the Super Bowl. Even though thousands of people are dying in Turkey. God is still God, and I will put my trust in Him. Trust, then, the next spiritual and spirit insight, is that trust leads to the transformation of our heart, mind, and soul. Trust leads to that transformation, that trust is the path to living our utmost for his highest. When I'm able to trust him with everything, then it transforms me. It, trust is the slow lifestyle. Um, when we get ourselves out of the equation and we listen and we obey and we do what he tells us to do, it, turns, it allows Jesus to turn us right side up. And so we begin to see differently. We begin to see from his perspective. We begin to live from his perspective. And, we, and, and scriptures begin to make sense because now we're seeing with the Spirit's eyes instead of just our eyes. And so trust is the key. What's interesting is over the last uh, probably 20 years especially, there have there, there been times when I've, I've been praying and, and even fasting and I'll, I'll take something to God and I'll go, God, I don't understand this. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't. And, and so tell me what to do and I'll hear this. Will you trust me with it? And in the early days especially, my response was, sure, but what do you want me to do? <laughs> Just trust me. No, 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 no. Maybe I didn't make myself clear, Jesus. I want to know what you want me to do with this. Because it doesn't make sense, and I don't know what to do. And I almost hear God laughing in heaven going, how many times do I have to say this? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? 
And sometimes my response is, yes, I trust you. But it's kind of like the, the father whose son was uh, possessed by a demon. And, and Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, yes, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I say, yes, I trust you, but help me trust you more because obviously I'm not getting this. Help me trust you more. But trust is the pathway. Trust is the pathway. And so when you're praying about something, pleading with God about something, listen carefully because oftentimes the response will be, will you trust me with this? Or it will be, okay, let's start with trust and then I want you to do this. But first you have to trust. So trust is the pathway. So it's not about trying harder, it's about trusting more. Religion is about trying harder. Relationship is about trusting more. So turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. We have a page number, page 980. Does anybody need a Bible? We got Bibles in the back. Our Pete will be glad to bring one up to you. Anybody? Anybody want a Bible? Okay. Philippians chapter 1. Let's read the first 11 verses, and then we'll see how far we can get. Philippians chapter 1, beginning, chapter one, beginning with verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, servants of Christ Jesus, humility and trust develops an attitude of living right side up, and that's being a servant. Even though Paul was the apostle, he called directly by Jesus, he always considered himself a servant. To all the saints, and saints was the word um, that describes Christian or Christ follower. In Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons. So he's writing this to everybody that's everybody that's a Christ follower in that region. And then specifically the leaders, the pastors, the deacons. Grace to you, God's favor to you. And peace, the deep confidence that transcends all understanding from God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not throwaway verses. That describes the attitude of someone who has learned to trust and say, I'm just a servant and God's in control. And it's God's favor you want, and it's God's peace that you want as you go forward. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And so you begin to get a flavor of his heart for these um, Philippian Christ followers. He remembers them with, with gratitude. He remembers them with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So here, these were all the Christ followers. They were people that were lay people as well as the clergy. And he's saying, all of you, I remember all of you because of your partnership. Because you understood that this was all about Jesus and letting people know about Jesus. And then verse 6 is, is core. And I would encourage you if you writing your Bible to underline this or highlight it in some way. In verse 6, he says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He hearkens them back to the moment when they humbled themselves and gave themselves and accepted Christ 
in, in a relationship with Christ. They accepted relationship with Christ through his forgiveness and his grace. And he says, I'm confident that, that the that work that he started when you first accepted him, he will continue that work in you and bring it to completion. It is right for me to feel this way about, about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. We experience God's favor together. We're family. And I hold you in my heart. I have this deep relationship and love for you. Both, and, and so you were partakers with me in this grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, both when it was going well and when it wasn't. When I was arrested and beaten and in prison and when we were talking to others. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so his whole idea of the Philippians is long, gratitude and that he has them in his heart. He's, he, uh, he, he remembers them with joy. He prays for them. He longs to be with them again because of the relationship that they share. In verse 9, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that you experience more and more of Jesus with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. You might experience the intimacy and the alignment. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. You become more and more like him. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That you exude that. Through Jesus Christ. Not because you're trying harder. But because you're trusting more. To the glory and the praise of God. So what are the exchanges we need to make? The first one. It's not about trying harder. It's not about our effort and sacrifice. And so I want you to add, after our effort and sacrifice, the choice, the exchange is exchanging my, our effort and sacrifice for a deeper trust relationship. It's not about trying harder. This is insidious and subtle. They're, they're, because the devil has a lie that he tells us, and he uses religion to get us there, that in order to be pleasing to God, I need to read a, bit, a little bit longer in my devotional time. I, I need to read the Bible more. I need to sacrifice more. I need to work more. I need to try harder. I need to, I need to up my game more. I need to spend longer fasting and longer prayer. I need to do all I, and. And I need to do more. And if I do more, if I try harder, then I'll experience the joy that God wants me to have and I'll be pleasing to him. It's an insidious lie that sneaks into our lives. Because, look at me, you don't have enough hours in your day to try hard enough to please God. Amen. There is no effort you can ever make that will cause God to give you favor. Because he already has grace for you. Amen. You can't, you, it, it's not about making him happy. It's, now, we do please him when we obey him. We bring delight to him, but we're not earning our salvation or earning our approval or earning our forgiveness. We need to relax, right? 
It's not about trying harder. And, and there are people who have gotten themselves all tied up in knots and in a mess because they keep work, thinking they have to work harder and sacrifice more instead of having a passionate relationship with Jesus. Go back to uh, verse 3. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making, for, uh, um, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. It doesn't say the work that you started doing when you accepted Christ. Amen. It says the only thing you did was to say yes. That's it. That's the only thing, everything else, Jesus does. So he who began the work in you, you didn't hang on the cross to pay for your, your sins. He did. You didn't even come to Christ on your own. You didn't find Christ. He found you. Amen. And by his spirit, he convinced you and he showed you and he pointed that you were a sinner. And he said, let me have those. All you did, all we ever did was just say, okay. And then he says, walk with me. But walking with him is the outgrowth of that. And, and then he does, he does all the work. And so he started it. And then he says, he will bring it to completion. Not you, him. By walking in trust with him. By walking in step with him. He does the work, not you. We need to relax. Because here is what Jesus says. I put the scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And a part of the context here is all the rules and regulations of the Jewish religion that were weighing people down. And they're trying to find God. They're trying to please God. And they're wondering, you know, they're, they're splitting hairs, trying to obey the 600 plus commands that God had, had given in the Old Testament that had become a burden and a duty instead of an act of love in response to God. And so he says, all of you that are trying so hard, you're trying so hard, just come to me and I will give you rest. Now, it's not that we don't do anything. It's that we do the right thing. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Not what you think you should be doing. Not all of the, the religion that you think you should be following. But what I tell you to do. Take my yoke upon you. Put your head in, in the side, your side. And I'll put my head on my side. And then learn from me. Follow my lead. Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Just walk in step. It's about trusting more so that when he says move right, we move right. Amen. And when he says stop, we stop. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of you have in your mind, and it could be a subtle image, that God is a taskmaster. That he's just waiting for you to mess up, and then he's going to slap you. Right? That's religion. Just, I got to do this right. I got to be good enough. I gotta, otherwise, God's not going to be happy with me. He's going to be mad at me. 
and then he's going to punish me. And then when something bad in our lives, what we consider bad happens in our lives, we back up and go, okay, what did I do wrong? This must be God's punishment for me. He says, just put your head in the yoke and you will find rest for your souls. He's saying, just trust me and walk in step. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Never ever does God expect us to do what he wants in our own strength. We couldn't do it if we tried. It's always in his strength. And that means surrender, listen, obey. There's a difference between working ourselves silly and giving our all in obedience. So it doesn't mean it's a life of ease. It means it's a life of doing the work he wants us to do in step with him. So it doesn't mean we don't work hard. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It means we work hard at the right thing. Not in trying to please him, not in trying to earn his favor, but in trying to bring delight to him as we are in relationship with him. It's not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. Number two, the second exchange, it's not what we bring to the table. It's not our abilities, but God's ability. Not our abilities, but God's ability. It's not about how um, able we are, but how the Spirit wants to work through us. Now, he does give us gifts and abilities and strengths and experience. He gives us all of those kinds of things, but he is the power and the strength behind those. And so we go back again to Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, so he forgave you, he put his spirit within you, he wants to develop you into the reflection of Christ, he wants to cause you to see through his eyes. And so it's not our physical abilities, not our spiritual strength, not our understanding, but him. Because when we operate in our strength, it leads to a mess, right? It causes all kinds of trouble. But when we live in his strength, he accomplishes what he wants to do. It's cooperating with all that we are. So flip over in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. To a humbling passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Anytime you start getting full of yourself, just go here. Second Corinthians chapter four, begin with verse four. He says, in their case, and he's talking about the people who are not following Christ, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Which goes back to what I was saying, is we can't even see that we need Christ without his Holy Spirit reaching into our lives and showing us. So the God of this world blinds people. That's why we pray for people to have their eyes open so they can see. So that, because nobody comes to Christ except that God draws them. Amen. And so they're blind. He so, and he goes on, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so he says, it's not about us. It's, and Paul was this, one of the smartest men alive, one of the most talented men alive. But he says, it's not about what I can do. 
It's about what Christ can do. So we just proclaim, we point people to Jesus. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So he says, it's all him. As we surrender and listen and obey, as we walk in step with him, as we practice the Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we are not being, we are not conformed to this world, we're being transformed by God's presence in our lives. And we become more and more like Jesus. He says, we just point people, he lets the light shine through us. He is the one that lets the light shine through us. And that's why oftentimes I'll pray for all, us that, that God will um, just shine through us, whether we know it or not, uh, that, so that he will be attracted. God, other people will be attracted to him in us because it's his light. It's not us or how good we are or how talented we are. It's about his presence. There, his presence draws people. His presence is appealing for people. So when people start you know, coming towards you and you think, you, oh, they must really like me. No, it's not you. <laughs> it's in spite of you sometimes, right? Because it's his presence. It's not us. And here's the humbling part. But we have this treasure, the presence and the light of Christ in us, in jars of clay. Ordinary, uh, the most menial kinds of um, pottery that they used in that day to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Really, we're just crackpots. Right? We have the presence of God within us and we're just supposed to leak His presence. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And we can't get there without trusting I think one of the hard transitions is um, living in, in tune with him so much that he turns us right side up and we begin to see through his eyes. And I talked about this last week is instead of assuming I know what the situation is, going to him and asking, God, what is this really all about? Yeah. Because no matter how much he tries to tell us, unless the spirit gives us insight, we can't see it. When I was in college, um, Sheila and I were getting ready to get married. We needed a second car. So I had a buddy of mine who had a 1967 Ford Torino that he was getting rid of. It had some problems, but he sold it to me for $300, it, 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 which in 1978 still wasn't very much money. Glass pack, dual mufflers, Hearst shifter on the floor. I love that car. I got it as a second car, so I was going to drive it, and I was going to let Sheila, that, well, that's a whole other story, <laughs> drive our pickup truck. When he sold me the car, Tom told me, he said, now, you need to understand when the, on the fuel gauge, when the needle gets to E, it's empty. And I went, oh, yeah. No, he says, you need to listen to me. You need to understand, when the needle gets to E, it's empty. I went, yeah. I mean, that just, I don't know what language, I took Greek, so are you talking a different language? Or I, I don't, so I, I went, okay. So we got married. That summer, Houston, Texas, is where we went to college. We got married. 
and Sheila uh, had started working at the same grocery store that I was at, across town in Houston, Texas. We got off at 10 o'clock at night, and so middle of the summer, we're driving home on the Houston freeway <laughs> with a friend of mine named Jim Peters, who was also working there. We're in the car, and as we're on the Houston freeway, the 610 loop coming up one of the hills towards the northwest side of where our college was, and all of a sudden I feel this, and I coasted over to the side of the road. And I'm looking at the fuel gauge, and it looks like it still has gas in it. I'm going, what is going on? So we're outside of the road, and we, we, don't, we don't know what we're going to do. There's not many people out. And then somebody pulls, up, pulls over in front of us, backs up. Nobody does that in Houston. But they backed up, and they came over and said, um, you broke it down? You need a hand or something? And I said, it seems like we ran out of gas. Oh, well, that's not a big deal. He jumped in his car. And as he's starting to pull away, my friend Jim Peter goes, you could give us a ride. He backs up, and we get in the car with a complete stranger. With I don't, were we married? I, no, we weren't even married yet. We were just dating. We were on our way to getting married, and and so he backs up. We get to the gas station. We get gas, pour gas, and it, it works. And I go to Tom. I go, what? What in the world? He said, I told you when it gets to E, it's empty. I said it wasn't on E. He said, no. Look at the, no, what, and, and I think what he had said is when it gets to the E on the fuel, it's empty. And he got in the car and he pointed out, he goes, when the needle points to the E in the word fuel, <laughs> it's empty. It looks like it's half full, but it, I said, well, why didn't you explain it more to me then? Now, until the Holy Spirit is, work, is, is filling us, it's that kind of situation when God tries to talk to us. Amen. He can say everything perfectly, yeah. and we won't get it. Amen. Because we're working in a different language. We're upside down. Wow. So we need to stop trying harder to do what we think we should do. And we need to start listening better and surrendering more, and when situations come, going to him and saying, God, what is the situation? Amen. What is it that you see? Because we aren't capable of grasping what God wants. Mm -hmm. We aren't capable of understanding situations. Mm -hmm. Number three, it's not about the hand that we're dealt. And I think this is a really hard one for most of us. Because circumstances get in the way. Am I, am I going to trust circumstances? Am I going to um, only... Uh, am, I, am I going to define the circumstances that I should have? Or am I going to trust God to define the circumstances that I should have? It's not about our success in this earthly realm. It's not about the circumstances that we have to face. We are far too focused on our circumstances. And I include myself in that. 
You know, a couple of years ago when I started having all these digestive issues, man, I was just, just consumed by that. And God said, trust me. Are you going to trust me? And, and there are some days when I go, I don't want to trust you. I want you to fix it. Right? And then I go, but I know you're God. Okay, I'll you know, And it was more resignation at that point until I could... And, but trust, our default causes us to see circumstances as bigger than God. Amen. Our default causes us to view circumstances as something to endure rather than believe that God is working in those circumstances. Our upside-down default causes us to see, evaluate circumstances as good or bad by our standards rather than by God's. Every time I read the book of Philippians, I'm captured by these words that Paul writes in these early verses. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And the reason I'm captured by them is because of what we see in Paul's introduction to the people and the city of Philippi. So flip over in your, in your Bible to Acts chapter 16. And we'll start reading in verse 19. So Paul writes in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You, all of you Christ followers who are in the city of Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, we pick up, the, here we, we, um, we see that God specifically sent Paul there. If you remember, um, he was trying to go a couple other places and he gets this vision of a Macedonian man saying, come to us. And that's where Philippi is, in Macedonia. He meets up with Lydia, uh, a rich lady along the river because they didn't have a synagogue. There weren't enough Jewish people to even have a synagogue. And they have a Bible study. They have a prayer meeting. People um, come to know Christ. Paul continues in Philippi. And then he casts a demon out of this little servant girl who was a fortune teller making her, her owners a lot of money. And when he does that, literally, hell breaks loose. Verse 19. Because it was the forces of hell that were doing this. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So they're, gr they're grabbed by these, these people. They're dragged into the marketplace. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice all law lies, false accusations. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garment, stripped them naked and gave orders to beat them with rods. Rods, it sounds just like what it is. It's like rods and they're beating them to a pulp. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stock. So now they're naked, beaten, and, they, and they're stuck in these, these stocks with their, their feet so that they can't move around, uncomfortable as all get out. They probably couldn't sleep. They're probably hungry. And, then, and that's the city... Paul writes back to them and says, I thank my God in every remembrance of you. What? Is he, is he lost his mind? No. He is not seeing circumstances 
through his eyes. Mm -hmm. He's seeing circumstances through the Spirit's eyes. Mm -hmm. What, and so I, let's pause here. Because circumstances are hard. What are the circumstances that you are enduring rather than trusting God with your full life, your full heart? What are the circumstances? What is, what's the pain or the difficulty or the hardship or the circumstances that are threatening to overwhelm you with fear where you're being distracted and preoccupied? Those are the places that God tells us to trust most. Because it's in the transformation of circumstances. Because in, in our default, we would look at Paul in that prison and go, that's what you get by trusting God, Paul. That's what, that's what you get. But Paul instead has come to trust God Instead of whining in that prison, as we read a little bit farther, they break out in a hymn sing. He and Silas start singing hymns because they're surrendering, listening, and obeying. And they're sensing the Spirit of God say, this is a good time to sing. And then out of that obedience comes an earthquake that, op that breaks. And, and the jailer is, it comes to know Christ. Paul is exonerated, God is glorified, but you wouldn't have seen that in the first moments when they're in the prison with their feet in stocks. So what are the circumstances that you're seeing, that you're just enduring instead of trusting, that you're frustrated with, that you're complaining about, that you want God to change, and if he really loves you, he, he would change those things. What are those circumstances that you are not allowing yourself to trust? and listen, and obey. Because it doesn't get turned right side up unless we do. If Paul sits in that prison and he and Silas just start throwing a pity party, they don't experience the presence of God. So what are the, what are the, God has not abandoned you Amen. when you go through pain. God is working. Because there is no exception to Romans 8.28. .8. For we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There are no exceptions. As long as we stay faithful and as long as we obey. So what are the situations that God wants you to exchange endurance or resignation for trust? What are they? Write them down. And take him to God. Because he'll continue to work with you. It, it, took, it took a long time for me to really trust him with all of my digestive stuff. And I'm a pastor. And I've been a Christian a long time. And I'm still going, God, are you sure? Are you sure? Really? I mean, come on. Really? Seriously? Come on. You want me to just trust you? In there? Don't you have a magic pill, God? You know, none of these doctors know what they're doing for me. And he just goes, trust me, lean in, lean in a little bit more. Trust me. 
And he always comes to us. Always. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. The hard places, the difficult circumstances are the place that God wants us to trust most so that we can experience him deepest and he can receive the greatest glory. That's why he can say, I remember Philippi. And it was a place of incredible pain, but even more than that, he didn't even mention the pain. He just, in, in passing, he goes, yeah, you were there in my imprisonment. And like, that, that's it? That's all. He didn't even focus on it. But he remembers what God did. He remembers what God did, and he glorifies God, and he focuses on that. But we don't get it if we give up. Number four, it's not the crew and the crowd. It's not the people around us. And so we need to surrender the people around us for God. It's not about me, it's about we. And so when Paul writes back, he, he talks about his partnership with them, that he's a servant, um, and that he remembers them because of their partnership in the gospel. And so it's not about making the people right, right? It's, not, it, it's surrendering them to God. Am I, am I putting my trust in people? Am I expecting people to be something different? Do I, I want, am I expecting God to bring me satisfaction and happiness through people? Or in, am, I, am I saying... I'm going to depend upon God, regardless of what these people do, regardless of what these, they, there's no one on this face of the earth that can make you happy, That's true. period, Amen. even if they're perfect like me, <laughs> right, Sheila? <laughs> She's going, especially you. <laughs> there's no one, no one can make us happy even if they're perfect. No one can make us happy even if I'm perfect and they're perfect and everything's perfect. Because it's not about happiness. It's about being filled with God's Spirit, partnering together to accomplish His purposes together. And that's why he looks back at those Philippians and goes, it's always your partnership with me. And as we read through the whole book, it's all, ab it's all about what they did together for Christ. And that's what he remembers. And that's what makes a church a church. That's why you ought to come to the Welcome to the Family class, because that's a part of what we talk about. It's about being the church together. It's about accomplishing stuff together. It's about letting the Holy Spirit work in us and through us and, and seeing the joy that comes and celebrating. It's about Him in us, not in me. That's why... I would love to take each one of those books and cross out my and put our. Because it's not about me, it's about we in Christ. So the bottom line, I put there on your outline, do we trust that God is God? Do we really trust that God is God? So one of my thoughts was when I heard about this revival breaking out in Wilmore, Kentucky, I'm going, Kentucky? Why not Pittsburgh? And then, I, and, but I'm, I'm, am I willing to let God be God? Yeah. Right? Or am I going to dictate to him? Am I, am I willing to let God be God? So that when stuff happens, you go, okay, well, that's whatever God's up to, okay. Whatever God's up to. And are we willing to put our full effort into cooperating with him? Stop trying harder and put that same passionate effort into cooperating with him. 
Same kind of energy, but the return is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads? Where is God challenging you to trust? It's not about working harder. It's not about him arranging circumstances or changing people in your life. It's about trusting. Allowing him to do what he wants to do. Are you willing to lay that at his feet and say, God, take me through whatever process, whatever difficulty or joy, whatever you know is best. Are you willing to lay it at his feet and trust him? He doesn't guarantee circumstances to change, but he does guarantee our hearts and souls to be transformed. And that's where the joy is. That's where the delight is. That's where the pleasure is. But it takes this long process of trust. If you're willing to do that, just in the quietness between you and God, would you whisper to him, Lord, I lay it all before you. Do whatever you need to do. I want your delight, not this world's happiness. Lord, I pray that you would honor those prayers, whatever it takes. God, we, we ha help us to keep from extrapolating what, how we think it's going to look and just lean into you. Empower us. Fill us with your spirit to keep our eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. Individually and together as a church family. God, I pray especially for those who are in really hard circumstances. I pray that you would help them to see that you're trusting them to trust you. That those circumstances, you are bigger than every one of those circumstances. Help them to see you that way. And in the midst of the pain, help them to give themselves to you and believe that you're in control. Lord, do that supernatural work because we can't, we can't get that riled up within ourselves. It takes you. It's a Holy Spirit work. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.